Yo. Yo, did it work? I guess so. What do you know, bro? We're you can recording. Hear me all right? Yeah, I can hear you. Nice. It's uh it's going down. So yo, what up, family? This is uh Preston in my first interview with one of my favorite dudes, Paul C from Philadelphia. Why don't you uh uh introduce yourself a little bit, Paulie C. Oh, all right, Preston the Texan. Um, <laughs> this is pretty cool, man. I'm glad you're doing this, and you know, I'm glad that you know you thought of me. And uh, you know, I'm glad at least one person in the universe wants to hear what I got to say <laughs> about some things. And uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it, man. Jump right in. What do you What do you got? What do you need to know? So, so here's here's some of the here's some of the plan. Here's some of my uh, my strategy for this call is. It sounds like you're. Are you making a? Are you making some food back there? Is that a dog flap flapping around? What's going on back there? My dog is going to follow me all over the house. And, I, and I'm, I was I'm waiting just, for. I was I'm just waiting. making a cup of coffee too. So you probably yeah, right. Oh, you got to get lit. Yeah. Um, when I start talking fast, you'll know that the, the uh, caffeine is kicking, kicking in. in. Yeah. Um. So a couple things. Number one, I want to get your story. Number two. Uh, I'm going to cover a number of topics, most of uh, a lot of which you and I pontificate about all the time when we have our personal conversations. But things like uh, MAP programs, drug drug replacement therapy, uh, anonymity, uh, your experience in 12 step healthcare, all these kind of stuff. So but, but stuff. I do want to. Yeah, yeah. But I do want to get uh, we got about two hours. I don't know. If we're going to take up all that time, but I'd like to 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 hear your recovery story. And I think the cool thing about this uh, platform is I get to interject and ask you different questions that I did normally wouldn't normally get to ask you whenever you're sharing in a meeting. So, right. Um, talk, talk about your story. Your, you know, how long you've been clean? Uh, you know, Oh, a little disclaimer for everybody. Any, I don't want to get any emails, no Facebook comments. We're going to talk about 12 step stuff, uh, in addition to other things. And just to be clear, these are just a couple of dudes opinions we are not any authority on any of the twelve step fellowships. Take our uh, no representation. No representation. Take what we say with a grain of thought, because it, you know, damn well might be wrong. Um, but uh, but anyway, just a quick disclaimer for any haters out there. But I think I also think that this is important. One of the reasons I feel like it's important to have these conversations is oftentimes. The recovery community can 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 operate in a bubble, and I think in a yeah. lot of ways they can fail the community. Uh, in other words, when people are struggling, they don't always know who to ask out, uh, who who they can ask help from, because we're hiding under this you know the, you know under this uh, umbrella of anonymity. So I, I think this is uh, some some important stuff. So anyway, that's a disclaimer. Uh, have at it, Paul. Tell us a little bit about uh, how you got here. Oh, man, I don't even know sometimes. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, look, man, my story is uh, I'm sure it's like a lot of people's, man, where it's like, you know, we're not all like, you know, born and then like six months later, we're like fending for ourselves on the streets and eating out of trash cans and you know, doing all the crazy shit that you see on intervention. I mean, I think that that's like, you know, like 30 second glimpses into the worst parts of people's possible scenario 
on those days that the cameras are following. But a lot of us are like, look, man, you know, when I, when I was real young, I grew up in a neighborhood with a lot of kids, right? By it was way, like, you know, every way, quickly, house. If you haven't already, put your uh, phone on uh, Do Not Disturb. Be the little uh, name. Aha. Uh-huh. I don't, don't want to be getting Done. calls. Knock us off. Go on. Yeah. No, I just did that. Good. Um, you know, neighborhood with a ton of kids. You know, most houses had like multiple siblings within a few years of each other. So we just rolled around and we were just deep, man. That's, we were just like, I feel like we were regular kids. You know, I'm, I'm 37. So, you know, figure eighties, uh, late eighties, early nineties were like a lot out of the house, uh, my age group. And, you know, eventually kids in that crowd, uh, started doing things that like, you know, say the parents in the crowd might frown upon, right. Like getting high or, you know, stealing cars or, you know, staying out late, like, you know, whatever it is, dude. Where did you um, grow up? I grew up in Delaware County. I grew up in the shadows of the Philadelphia airport. You can't live no closer to the airport than I grew right up. On. Right on. Um, so, like, right outside southwest Philly, but really the airport. If there, if there's, like, a landmark out there that I would use, it's, it's for sure the airport. And, uh, you know, there's, like – so, in, in Delaware County – it's, it's a small county, but it's dense, right? It's really like a – it's it's like an extension of the city, but it, it's actually sure. a suburb. And, um, you know, there's the nice part, which is Delaware County. And then there's, like, Delco, which is, like, the shitty white trashy <laughs> part. And then there's, like, where I grew up, where we were, <laughs> like – we were that right. and then some, you know? And uh, – but it was cool, man. Like, you know, look, dude, my parents are still together. They're still married. I don't come from a broken home. I, there was there was no abuse uh, to speak of in any way, like mental, physical, sexual, like none of that stuff. Uh, my parents aren't addicts, um, you know. So I don't know, man. People started getting high around me. I started getting high with them, and I liked it. You know what I mean? Like I, I liked what it did for me. I like how it changed me. I like the 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 social doors. I saw it opening for me at like a young age because I was I was really awkward. I was like a real tall, skinny kid got picked on like all that kind of shit and um you know it just progressed through the years man like i was always the first one willing to experiment when like the new substance like sure. hit the crowd like people would be scared and i right. was not scared and then like you know be like i don't know if we should do this well, like, i'll take it. two like let's just go you know what i mean yeah what are you waiting yeah. for you know what I mean? um you know and that just progressed man like you know a lot a lot of, a lot of like, it was like the rave scene when i was in high school so a lot of like rave drugs a lot of like one letter, two letter name sure. drugs. Um, and then, you know, booze, weed, coke, like through the years. Then like beginning of my twenties was like booze and coke and like, you know, staying up too late and being late for work. And the end of my twenties was like, you know, I was doing whatever it took to, you know, feed like a heroin addiction and I couldn't work. Like I was like unemployable and I became all the things that somebody that was brought up with the opportunities that I had wasn't supposed to become. You know what I mean? I, I was captain of the basketball team, student council, graduated 13th in my class, uh, but got kicked off the team my senior year, couldn't go to my prom, couldn't walk with graduation because I couldn't stop getting right. arrested. You know what I mean? I was like, I just towed the line my whole life until there was no more line to tow because I completely crossed it and didn't right. look back. Um, so, you know, tried to get clean a couple of times, bunch of rehabs, bunch of jails, and, uh, you know, for whatever reason, uh, March 27th, 2014, uh, I didn't use that day, didn't use the next day, and haven't used since. And I know 
how I maintain that, but I don't know how it happened initially. I really, I wish I did. Uh, I just, I don't know, man. Miracle, you know what I mean? Chalk it up to act of God. I mean, right. who knows? You know what I mean? You know, this is one of the one of the interesting things that I am always thinking about is how to communicate um, what really needs to happen with regards to mental health and addiction from the healthcare uh, perspective, and which also lump in. Uh, insurance and community and how we help people and what we prescribe as the solution. And one of the things that is so uh, mind blowing a lot of times is the average drug addict or alcoholic has to go to rehab roughly five to eight times. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, we want to number one, drug addiction and alcoholism is hard to get your head around. But then you go, well, hold on. Well, why, why, why should I have to pay for or why should insurance have to pay for or why can't a dude just get it? Why do they have to go through so many times? And I think, um, you know, when you say, well, what, ha- what happened to you? How did you get it? And a lot of, for so many people, myself included, is uh, what happened for you to get it? And you're like, I don't really actually know. Um, luck. I mean, I don't. You, you know yeah. what I mean? It's just the, the stars right, aligned. Right. Well, how many? So, uh, so know. tell me, give me a, a little bit of sense of, because I think it's important. The progression for my using was very similar to yours, where where it started out with weed and and drinking. It started out in high school. I was able to kind of keep it together. You know, I wasn't. You know, I, I stayed in school. I graduated from high school, but I like first started getting in trouble with the parents then i started getting in trouble with the law with little things mm-hmm. and i got my first dwi in high school and it was really once i got out of high school where my addiction really ramped up and um so tell us a little bit about like your progression and how it just kind of kept getting worse and how you maybe thought it was normal and maybe your friends had changed your lifestyle had changed give me a sense of that and how many times you went into treatment well, it's funny when I was a kid. So my, I was born in 1983, right? So you fast forward 10 years, right? I'm 10 years old. Uh, just like context for the times is like Wu-Tang Clan <laughs> just came out, right? There was like Kurt Cobain was still alive. Um, you know, uh, the Gulf War was like happening. And, you know, there was a lot of like, like I was like a scene kid, like I was always into like music and like I played in a bunch of bands and like, you know, movies and just like, a, like a, just like a cultural, you know, in that sense, like kid, not cultural, like I ever fucking traveled because we were poor, but culture in like, you know, I like music, I like movies, like I like sports, like I knew what was going on in the world around me. And there was a lot of like straight edge music that was very popular yeah. back then. So up until I actually started like using myself, um, I was like under the impression that I was never going to do anything drugs or alcohol wise. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I was like, no, that shit's for losers. And like, you know, I'm never going to be like that. And I had no reference point of what that even looked like. I just was saying it because like it was a popular trend at the time. Um, But just to, just to show you as addicts, how easily swayed we are easily influenced. I am, Uh, you know, the people in my crowd that were saying that one summer, the next summer, we're like drinking 40s behind the gas station and like selling weed from the payphone. 
and you know like occasionally like smoking dust while we're skating around the city and i was like yeah that's what you guys are doing that's what i'll do too right and um so like i said i was always kind of willing to like experiment um if people around me were doing it i certainly didn't want to be the one that wasn't doing it uh you know i felt as an outlier enough without going against the grain of the crowd i mean so, you know, you fast forward to, you know, in high school, like, you know, I thought I sold ecstasy, which like, you know, it sounds lame now, but in 1998, that was like the right. hottest thing going, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, once we all started doing Coke and, you know, I think once the harder drugs kind of entered the picture, I did have an idea that I was willing to go farther down the road than the people around what, me were. Like I was always, what, what was the, pa- yeah, what was the parent? uh the the adults in the um community like because i have to imagine it was probably working class you probably had i mean i i I know for for my family i mean we were lower middle class uh sure yep lower lower middle right Right and my parents drank they were both business owners they drank um you know uh, it was just part of the social uh, makeup of, of, I didn't know anybody that didn't drink. I, I rephrase. I didn't, uh, I knew people that didn't drink, but to me, they were square. They were born again, Christians. They were not anything like I wanted to be. Uh, so what was the, what was the adult influence like? Cause I, I, it's hard to imagine going from like nothing to, you know, doing Coke and smoking dust and not have anybody, that you looked up to that also put substances in their body. Maybe it wasn't hard substances like that, but it was still an, a culture of substance. Yeah. I mean, my parents, uh, you know, like we used to go out to this pizza restaurant every Friday when I was a kid and they would get a pitcher of beer right, or two or however many right. they got. I don't know. You know what I mean? But it was, that was just normal. Like the neighbors would stop by and somebody bring like a 12 pack and they would sit on the porch in the summer and listen to the Phillies game and like drink some beers like you know like down the shore like it was a point like my mom was going to get lit but it was because she was on vacation not because like you know it wasn't like during the week like nobody came home from work on a weekday and like cracked a beer unless it's friday and uh which which to me as a as an adolescent mind was as normal as it could possibly get yeah i mean it was just like you know like maybe my mom liked to tote the ganja a little bit you know what i mean I didn't have no hard proof of that sure. when I was. It's, it, it, it's but, funny uh, looking back as an adult. You're like, they they were definitely smoking the weed at some point. They were definitely doing something. Yeah. Well, now that I'm clean, she's looser yeah. with it than she's ever been. Like the weed's right, just on right, the night right. table now because she knows I'm not interested. Yeah, it'd be, you know it'd be I mean? gone in the other. Stuff, you'll have to so. for, you have to forgive my my barking dog good. in the background. He's confused about what he wants, and um, you know, so it was just like every time I would fuck up. Or every time, like, something would happen, it would just be, like, they would just look at me, like, dude, like, what are you doing? Like, why are you, why would you behave this way when, like, you don't really have to? Like, you're not a complete asshole. Why are you acting like a complete asshole? And that was the running theme uh, from, you know, my first felony wasn't even, like, a drug charge, dude. It was, like, graffiti. You know, I got caught like drawing a dick on the new addition to the school when I was like right. ten years old. You know what I'm saying? What, what do you think that <laughs> like, was, was within you like... that that had you, um, you know, doing uh, that? Was it attention seeking? Was it risk taking? Was it feeling the, 
you know, being the one to step out there when everybody else was scared? What do you think that was that was within you that caused you to? Yeah, I think it was like the perfect cocktail of all of that is I was so insecure, uh, which I didn't know this then. But like, you know, now in hindsight with like, you know, I'll look at myself. I was so insecure because of my height and how skinny I was. Like, you know, that that in itself was enough. But then just like the inner dialogue that I had that I knew my peers did not have with themselves. You know what I mean? Like, I just knew that they didn't think as much about what other people thought of them as I did, you know, because I didn't want to think about it that much, but I just couldn't help myself. So, yeah, I think it was just like, you know, they're going to talk about me like one way or the other. I'd rather do something of like, like noteworthy than just get made fun of for right. something else. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, and then, yeah, my parents were just like, bro. Like, what the fuck, man? Like, you know what I mean? Like, we didn't teach yeah. you like this. You know what I mean? Why, why are you doing this to us? That was always their thing. It's like, why are you doing this to us? And, uh, you know, now as a parent myself, like, I understand sure. that concept. But at the time, I'm just like, that ah, was just wrong place, wrong time. And, you know, everybody does it. And they're like, no, dude, nobody gets their parents called into the principal's office because they get caught with a thousand e-pills in 10th grade. Like that's not a normal Holy happening. Smokes. And I'm like, it is to yeah. me. You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, then, then like the, it's not even lying. It's just right. nonsense that I had to like back it all up. And, uh, you know, but my parents are, dude, they're good people. They did the best they could with what they had. And I, I, you know, I went through this whole process with them where I was like, look, dude, do not ever like take any credit for the catastrophe that was my life when I was a kid. Like it was all me. Like it had nothing to do with you guys. And now, you know, rec- just like addiction is a family disease. Recovery is also a family condition. Uh, it's just my belief that they understand that now, you know what I mean? Like they're totally on board with like, yep, none of that <laughs> shit was our fault. We agree. You know what I mean? Uh, because their lives have yeah. also improved, you know, what about, so, um, uh, you know, it's funny when I hear people say, and I, and I am guilty of it as well, is I used to think everybody drank and used the way I did. And what I realized probably mm. the most, the most glaring um, moment that I had when I realized this was totally wrong. I think I had two years clean and I went to a big gala uh, event. My dad was a newspaper publisher and he would go, we got dressed up in tuxedos. Everybody was wearing black tuxes. Me and my dad were wearing white tuxes. You know, I thought we thought, you know, we were the bomb. Mm-hmm. And my dad was, you know, he's a, he's a newspaper guy. So he wants to stand out. And, you know, Well, you were. So let's just, let's just set the record <laughs> right. straight on that. You show right, up in a white right. tuxedo with a black so, tie affair. Right. You are and the so, shit. Yeah. Uh, but I was in there and I didn't drink. And I realized that probably about 60%, maybe even 75% of the entire crowd were either not drinking at all or they were just sipping. And then you had like 25% of the people that I would normally hang out with where a lot of my dad's friends. Yeah, Open bar, good. dude. You know, but when you're in that mix, like in my before, I thought everybody was doing it. And I think that that's. You do not realize it. you're the minority. You definitely do not. But as, as time goes on, speaking of progression, right, is, you know, me personally, I'm 
sure it's the same for a lot of people is I started to seek yep. those people out and then that's who 100%. I would surround myself with. So as outrageous as my behavior was, it seemed a little less outrageous when people are at least closer to my level yep. of insanity. Maybe not at my level. Well, I was close. always uh, my friends definitely changed. And what happened is the quality of friends changed. They actually got worse and worse because I needed oh, people sure. that were, you know, that were using and drinking more than me to make me feel like I had uh, like I was normal. Like if I go, oh, well, if I ever got as worth it, work as bad as that guy, then I'll definitely make a change. And then my using progressed and I, I need to get a new that guy. And then I'm like, oh, well, what, well, you know, Absolutely. Then, well, hey, if I ever use those drugs, yeah. then maybe I'll change. And it just, but if I look back, they pro- progressively got more and more, um, you know, uh, they got worse as friends technically. And that's because who wants to be the, the sore thumb that's doing all kind of crazy substances when everybody else is not. And you're looking around like you, like you got an issue. Like I need people that are doing what I'm doing and, and preferably more. Yeah. And then you become you become the, that guy for other people. Yeah. Yeah. Like I know people were like, well, I'm hanging out with Paul. Nothing I want to do is really off the table. Cause it's still ain't going to be as bad as whatever right. he's doing. Um, you know, and that's not just with drug use. I mean, primarily, but that's also, uh, you know, with other behaviors that I've, I've had throughout the years that were like, if, if I wanted to steal, right. Like say I wanted to catch a lick. Right, uh, which we called it Monday. Yeah. Catch a lick, come up. Um, I wasn't going to call somebody that I didn't know right. to be a thief. Like I was going to want to do that with somebody who I knew would also be willing to steal yeah. and be cool with it. You know what I mean? Just like, uh, like you know, like early bar scene days. Like, you know, I, I hung out with dudes that were womanizers because that's yeah. how I like to be. So I wasn't going to hang out with like straight laced dudes who were in committed relationships. <laughs> right. Like, right. you know, that was the last person I wanted to hang out with. I wanted to hang out with the guy that treated him worse than me. So I yeah, felt so bad. Like, oh, well, dude, he's really bad. I mean, look, at, look how he does it. And I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm a saint. I'm a nice guy compared to this dude. And then typically you attract women yeah, I think or, the, uh, and other people like that, that, that are attracted to that. So it seems normal for them as well. Right. Like people that hate them. <laughs> yeah. So they're willing to tolerate yeah. my Hey, bullshit. nice to meet you. So how <laughs> low is your self-esteem? Because we have to. Yeah. <laughs> exactly um, exactly and i think for us um you know just knowing you as long as i have now and there's quite a few of my friends have fallen in this category but not all of them is that like i kind of always yeah. knew better like i knew there was some dudes that i hung out with there's one i'm in my in my head I'm, I'm thinking of that he really did not know any better right but he came from a different circumstance yeah. than i did like, I absolutely, underneath it all, knew all along that, like, I don't really want to be doing this stuff, but I, I have to for whatever reason. Like, I'm compelled to behave this way above any morals that I thought I had. Like, you know, my compulsion to behave in this manner outweighs any kind of, like, voice of reason or conscience or whatever you want to call it that would, you know, prohibit most people. Look. Everybody wants to fucking get all fucked up and not feel like themselves and womanize and get free shit because there's everybody wants to do that on some level. But most people won't because right. it's wrong. And my right wrong meter was wrong like, <laughs> all the right. time. You know what I mean? Like I was just wrong about what was right and what was wrong. 
and what I was willing to do as far as those two different extremes like yeah. presented themselves. You know I also what I mean? think it's 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 funny. Uh, well, it's important to point out too is that when someone is is running and gunning and under the influence, um, like many of the people that we hang out with were you know, you have the ability to do things that you know are wrong and not care. And it's not, you're not going to lose sleep over it. Yeah. You know, uh, maybe in some scenarios you're, you quite, uh, you know, bask in the, the glory of living that lifestyle. And it, and it's not well, versus now, um, not that I have, uh, you know, a hard time doing anything wrong. Cause I do, th- there are things that I'm probably embarrassed or ashamed of, but there are times when I do things that I can't sleep and th- maybe some people might get, why yeah. can't you sleep? It's because, because in w- within my innermost self, like it, it doesn't feel right. And I know I'm falling short or, you know, whatever. Whereas under the influence, it's much easier to kind of do that crap. And, um, Right. And how funny is it how far back the line has moved yeah. that you're willing yeah. to cross? Like, that's one thing that trips me out now, man, is that like, you know, if I speak to my wife, right? So I'm, I'm married. Uh, there's somebody in this world who's willing to sign up legally to put up with me for the rest of their life. And, you know, what, if I like speak to her in a certain way, or don't meet a certain expectation she have. That's the kind of stuff now that'll have me like tossing and turning. And if you'd have told my six year ago, 10 year ago, 15 year ago self, that that would be like where the line in the sand was. I mean, that's just like laughing to somebody who was living the way I was like, yeah, you you worried about what some chicks think to you, bro? Like what? You know, but now it's like, that's the kind of stuff like, you know, as a parent and like, you know, I'm sure we'll get, you know, we don't want to fast forward too much, but, it's like, yeah, man, just where the line in the sand is now versus where it was then. Like, there was no yeah. line in the sand then. Um, any and all lengths for acceptance and to not feel what it felt like to right. feel like myself. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, one of the yeah. things that's, um, yeah, for sure. that I'm uh, interested in is there's there's a bunch of different 12-step fellowships out there. And, and when I, you know, when I got clean, I was – I was, um, I got, I went to rehab a month after my 21st birthday and I was having such a hard time with accepting or understanding that I was, although I preferred drugs, I was also an alcoholic. That was number one. It was hard for me to identify as an alcoholic because I didn't, I drank since I was 13, 14 years old, but I didn't have the experience of being a legal drinker. And so, um, I really had a hard time identifying when I was going to AA uh, and I really found a home in narcotics anonymous. That's where I really found it. One of the things that, um, that I like about narcotics anonymous is how it looks at substances. And what I mean by that is when we, when, when, when members of, of narcotics anonymous say we use, um, we do that intentionally. We don't go in and say, oh, I'm a heroin addict. Hi. Oh, I'm a meth head. Hi. Oh, I like weed. Hi. Right. And, you know, one of the reasons is because that creates separation is that when you say, you know, hi, I'm an heroin addict. I think in my mind, well, I didn't use heroin, so I'm not going to listen to what he says. So we say when we used now, everybody gets to kind of put their own drug of, of preference in that little blank. But even more importantly, and what I found. Um, you know, 
being in recovery for a long period of time is that term use gets replaced with all kind of stuff that have nothing to do with drugs, using people, places and things, yeah. using Netflix, using, you know, my wife or or spending or whatever. Yeah. Feel, using feelings, have, using feelings to, to justify. Yeah. Anything yeah. In, right. And like I'll talking. use anything yeah. and everything to change the way I feel, even if it makes me feel worse, because I don't want to feel the way I'm feeling and who I am because of insecurity and self-worth, et cetera. But, um, you know, another thing about that, which I also had a problem, a challenge with was sometimes I felt less than because I didn't, I wasn't out there that long in the, in the overall scheme of things. And so every back when I came in, uh, you know, the, the crack was the big thing. This was in like the early 2000s. And I'm like, well, shoot, man, I didn't do crack. So I wonder if I have to go back out so I can use crack, get bad enough and then come back in so I can, you know, I almost got kind of got made fun of because my drug, you know, my drug of preference was weed and alcohol. And then I'd binge on the hard stuff. What, um, uh, how did you end up in ending up in the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous as opposed to another fellowship or what was the what was the draw for you that that attracted you there? I love this question because I don't know if I ever will have <laughs> a solid answer. Uh, but, you know, when I first got so I had been to 12 step meetings, um, you know, the big boys like AA, NA uh, prior to actually getting clean, um, you know, like quick cameo here and there, like throughout the years, like maybe I'd get out of rehab and, you know, my fucking mom would like drive me to a meeting and like make me go or something. I'm talking like, you know, mid twenties, not like no little kid. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and I would go or, you know, whatever. And, uh, at that point, uh, I didn't even really, I wasn't even able to like, that they were so different um or different at all really uh you know and then when i got clean and stayed clean um i i didn't come out of a rehab uh i didn't come out of prison like i had been to both recently but i had used and was using and the recovery house i was in uh you know god bless recovery houses man you hear a lot of shit about them but I got clean in a recovery house. Dude. Yeah. That place might have saved my life. And uh, it's not even really like a recovery-oriented thing. It's just yeah. like that's what it's called. Um, but they made you go to meetings. You know, they made me go to meetings. And I went to a couple meetings in another fellowship. And, you know, I kind of went to both because I knew I needed to be in one. Like I knew that I needed to go to meetings anyway. That was – I knew that I needed to surrender to the fact that as much as I didn't want to, that 12-step recovery was the – possibly last chance ranch for me to have any kind of life worth living. And, um, you know, I was kind of going to both and, you know, I knew I liked NA more just me personally, but I didn't really have anything against the other one. Still didn't really know like where I was going to land or if I was going to land. Um, and here's how it happened. Right. So I'm walking out of a meeting one night and, you know, I'd already gotten a sponsor at this point. I probably had like, close to 30 days right that I clean on the streets and um you know I, I i missed a phone call from my sponsor and i called him back outside the meeting right i called back and he's like oh what are you doing you know what are you doing he, he was on his way to i remember he was on his way to the late night meeting in westchester right and uh and he was like what are you doing i was like oh, i just left the meeting and he's like oh what meeting and he was it 
uh, Braun JFK? And I'm like, no. And he's like, oh, you were down Montrose? I'm like, no. He's like, oh, you were up down uh, Jackson? I'm like, no. And he's like, well, yeah. uh, that's all the NA meetings, dude. So where, where were you? And I told him what meeting I was at. He's like, is that NA? And I was like, no. And he was like, look, dude, I just met you, but I really care about you. And I'm not telling you which one to pick, but you right. should pick one. And you should just commit. I'm not saying like that because I want you to pick me and, and this team or, or anything like that. He's like, if you feel more comfortable there, then go all in yeah. over there. You know what I mean? But like as your NA sponsor, this is my right. suggestion to you. And, um, and I, I had an NA home group. I had an NA sponsor. So it just made more sense. And that was the last uh, AA meeting I had ever gone to. And, you know, I just felt at home, man. It's like the yeah. Island of Misfit Toys. Like, I feel like you can be as fucked up and crazy out of your mind as you need to be in NA. And you will be loved all the, not even all the same, all the more for like, you know, like the more you're suffering, the more love you feel. And sure. I'm not saying it's not like that anywhere else. I just know my experience is I felt that in NA and I was like, why would I ever yeah. not come back here? If I already can, yeah. it's tangible, you know what I mean? To me. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's how I landed. And I, I just landed, man. Like a lot of stuff in the beginning, right? <laughs> Who knows? why that was the plan or that's how it worked out. I just know it did. And I sure. have no reason to question it. So that's just what I did, man. And on uh, the area I got clean in, in North Philly, yeah. those dudes were pretty hard body. And once I kind of started having those conversations, I realized just how important it was to, to everybody that I was committed somewhere to where I was going to be visible and be accountable and be able to like be of service and be seen in that one place where I was going to let people get to know me and yeah. I was going to get to know other people rather than splitting my time because I could have also easily sure. split my personality. You know, and I, doing I think that, that is, you know a, what I mean? I think that's a good, um, yeah, those are good points to make because I think that I was literally listening to a speaker yesterday talking about emotional sobriety and so you know he's talking about how in the beginning of our 12-step journey like it's just about abstinence i mean you know in the rooms you got a year or, mm -hmm. or you know multiple years it's like holy crap you know you got two years clean this is absolutely bonkers but in a recovery sense like you're still an infant you're like, that's like terrible twos you're like a toddler you know and you're so you're in there Thinking, oh yeah. Well, at least for me, I thought I knew everything and, and, and excuse me. And it was extremely important for me to go to the absolute extreme to have one fellowship in one book in one sponsor and be yeah. committed. And I think that's something that's, that's been, uh, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate it for the normies, but the amount of effort and change that it really takes. Like if I was going to prescribe you, Paul, the solution for recovery, it would be so extreme for the first two years that most people would go, you want me to do what? Like a meeting mm -hmm. every single day. Are you kidding me? You want me to, what? how long do you want me to sit with this guy? You want me to call people every day? Are you kidding me? Oh, and go. So, like I needed that early on. Like I went to, they said 90 meetings in 90 days. I think I went to a meeting every day for almost five years. Um, and, and the other thing I think is so important with that, uh, particularly for the newcomer 
if you can go to extremes in your recovery for as absolutely long as possible, um, when you the foundation, like when yeah. you start to settle the in, foundation, like you start man. to get the job and get the wife and whatever. If you're used to going to seven to fourteen meetings a week and you cut back and you cut back to five to ten, you're sitting pretty. You're sitting great, right? Sitting pretty, yeah. And the relationships are built. I mean, and that's really the thing is, and like you kind of mentioned it earlier, is that like, you know, like when we say used, man, we just, it's just used. Like it doesn't matter like what or how much or, you know, none of that shit matters to us. And I think that does have something to do with my decision probably is that I, you know, any specific substance wasn't really my cup of tea. Like, you know what I mean? So, and I, and I wasn't at the end, it certainly was not alcohol. Like it was specific. But it wasn't right. you know, it wasn't alcohol. It was ritualistic more than it was specific. Um, yeah. And I just knew that I could be my whole self. I could talk about what I needed to talk about. I could say the things I needed to say. And, uh, yeah. you know, th- there was no way for me to get voted off the island uh, <laughs> for just being like exactly who I who I was and what exactly was going on. Because yeah. uh, it was all over me physically, like what was going on, dude. I mean, you know, I'm like. You know, I'm like right. a, a healthy 215 now. I'm 6'3, dude. Like I was in right. I was in bad shape. You know, so I needed to go in and be like, Yeah. What dope thing I go out this shit's fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> you know and I, I think it's important too for the for freely, the people you know? listening that may not be familiar with twelve step is you know, a, a lot of times you'll hear sometimes people go, Oh, twelve step is all the same. And, you know, if you're in 12 step, you know, they're vastly different. Mm. And a lot of times and there are people out there that go to multiple fellowships from the gate. And quite frankly, uh, you know, more power to them. But I think it's very similar to religion or churches or something like that, where they're there. They are all very, very similar. But to say like Catholicism and the Protestants are the same is is that's like heresy. They're not the same. And, and as a. As a new person, yeah, I feel like, um, you know, I, what I always tell new people is go wherever you hear the message and get in there and stay and work that program until you get your feet under you. I mean, that's I mean, because I was I was deep for eight years exclusively in N.A. And then my wife started going to Al-Anon and I felt a little I wanted mm-hmm. to, so badly for us to have something, you know, together in a sense and so i struggled a little bit i even felt like when i started kind of going to you know to the other fellowship the aa that i was kind of like cheating a little bit like i was you know i was like oh dude this is so uncomfortable and then, yeah you know we moved to philadelphia yeah. i switched to a so i did a exclusively for a while but i was you know gone were the days of going to you know five six seven ten meetings a week and i was doing once or twice a week and it and and now i kind of do both but it's uh, I, I just feel like it's so important for those first five, 10 years that and maybe for even forever, but just to go where you feel comfortable and just stay and don't badmouth the others and don't, you know, just do your thing and be a good representation of where you go and work, work with, you know, the other people that are in the community as opposed to us versus them, which can happen sometimes. Yeah, well, it, it's even in our 
you, you know, people people know twelve step recovery under that term, but they they don't yeah. know that there's also like twelve traditions and twelve concepts and like, you know, all these spiritual principles and all this stuff. So it is in our in our traditions to, you know, our 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 attitude towards other fellowships is one of cooperation. So basically, that's a, that just says to me is like, look, we acknowledge that these other things exist. We acknowledge they work for who they work for. And we also yeah. acknowledge that they acknowledge that we work for who we work for. And, uh, you know, anything we can do to help people find the right place to land uh, is something we're going to do. And I, and I was just on a cruise um, earlier this year. And yeah. on the boat, it's called a recovery yeah. meeting. Right. Because they can't have a specific fellowship because it's not actually, yeah. you know, and most of the, most and, of the people. And hey, what a great except me and my wife to have and, and that you can go anywhere, with. anytime around the world. And you can have some people to show up and go, yo, me too. And they go, yo, you're welcome. Come on in. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we had some of the best conversations um you know one, not that we agreed with everybody but there was two guys there right they were from different parts of the country they both had 42 years yeah. uh in aa right and they were yeah different kinds of guys right like different kinds of like aa guys and the one guy was just like enamored with like you know the fact that we were from on a we seemed like we had such great recovery and like we had you know what i mean all this shit he was like and we really got like a, a vibe going with him man and the other guy was like well you know we just, you know, we would tell that person to leave our meeting and like this and that. And we were kind of like, yeah, you know, look, man, that's the way it was at one point. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, but it's just just how different it can be. Um, and my wife has the best metaphor for this, man. Oh, it's, uh, it, it's actually her all time best metaphor for anything. And it's, it's um, if you're on one side of a river. And you need to get to the other side of the river, right? Which implies crossing right. the river is your journey. The other side of the river is your destination. And there's two canoes. Like you could, in theory, put one foot in each canoe yeah. and eventually make it across the river. Yeah. But it would certainly compromise your journey. Uh, or you could put both feet in one canoe and have a much yeah. easier time arriving yeah. at the same destination without any confusion. Um, yeah. the, the canoes aren't labeled. It's not which one you should get in. You know, it's not like sure, a speedboat sure, sure. and like a, a, you know, like a log flume or something. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, and uh, I just kind of look at it like that, man. That's, that's the best way I can put it is it. The whole thing is, is when you're, when you're using and when you're caught up in active addiction, um, odds are you're not practicing any level of commitment in your life other than right. getting what you need to get to do what you need to do. So you come to recovery. <laughs> right. The first thing you should probably right. work on is right. commitment. Commit. Just try okay. it. Let's just you know try what I'm saying? Up. Pick one. Let's commit, just start with that. And just just see where it takes you. Every day. Show up. Exactly. Let people get to know you. Right. Get to know other I people. Think it's, um, you know what I mean? And, it's scary, but don't I've be afraid. all over the yeah. world uh i've been the meetings in the redneck of the redneck place the the ghetto of the ghetto place i've been to meetings in uh in hong kong and singapore and mexico and france and england and you know i, I think one thing that has been so um 
cool, I think. Going back to this idea of when you're using or you're acting or living a certain way, you think everybody else is doing it as well. It can be so easy to think that your home group and your area and your town is the way it is everywhere. And that's just not the case. And I think that the more experiences someone can get, mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's it's important just to know that there's other ways out there. And I, I guess that brings me up. One of the questions I have uh, I want to get your opinion on is where you think the rooms of 12 step are failing um, newcomers walking in the door. And let me explain, you know, there's a big push in the medical community for medically assisted treatment. And so for those of y'all that don't know, it's, you know, they're prescribing, methadone and suboxone and vivitrol and these are you know if you're on some sort of uh usually opiate heroin of some sort that you take these pills and this shot and whatever and it takes the cravings away and you have a less chance to die etc um and from the front of the podium on the in the political world um from our communities we're talking about the need for more mental health and addiction treatment so things are starting to do they're starting to do research and they're starting to do studies and um uh and that are different from a total abstinence 12-step based program and those people are being sent to us and you know sometimes we're i feel like we're kind of running some people off because they don't fit the mold um and in a sense uh failing those newcomers that come in because they went to treatment. They uh, got on some sort of replacement therapy. They're going to see their therapist as they're told. They're told that they need to do all these things. Maybe they get on some psychotropic drugs for their mental health. They're taking the Suboxone for their opiates. And then they're sent to us, which in our view, we feel like 12-step is a solution and ultimate totally abstinence is the way to go. And then we go, yo, you need to get off that stuff. Yo, you ain't clean. Yo, you're not, you know, and, and you get people that are in the rooms going, yo, you ain't welcome here in a sense. So we're running those people off. And so they're kind of stuck in between this like medical community and the 12 step community, as opposed to, you know, fanning the flame in a way that's encouraging because um, that person might get off those drugs two years from now. Um, so there, there's a bunch wrapped in that. I know you have some experience with that, but I want to kind of dive down some of those uh, arenas and see see what you think about that. <laughs> yeah, we'll just go oh, head first boy. down the it's slippery slope in twelve step recovery. Um, sure. And you're right because there's a lot of different ways to look at it, man. Uh, the first thing I'll say is I do believe that there are many different roads to recovery that may work for many different kinds of people. Um, but where we differ is that 12 step recovery has been proven to work for any kind of person. Like say me and you were both like in recovery, right. But neither of us did 12 steps. Like what worked for you to stay in recovery versus what work might not work for me. And what works for me to stay in recovery might not work for you. But 12-step fellowship works for both of us. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is a common denominator. Uh, another thing that's unfortunate for us, which I know you're big on this, is that there is no data 
when it comes well, to, to, to the, anonymous I don't know if you saw that, but there was a there was an article um, which so it's not like fresh air for me but the old statistic was that 12 step only works about five percent of the time and they actually had in the New York Times the New York Post posted it the Washington Post posted it but a but a, a study came out that gave 12 step fellowships roughly a I can't remember if it was 18 to 24 percent or 18 to 28 percent success rate and that was a lump of about 10 to 12,000 people and they looked at about six different studies um, which was actually the most favorable study that has ever come out with regards to 12 step because therapy I think they kind of promote like a 15 to 18 percent uh, success rate um, and and again as you point out the reason it's hard to get right. real data is because you know 12 step is not going to let people do data because it's an outside issue and you can't really do data um and so, yeah, but, but go on. It, that, that was the first time I've heard right, right, that is right. a benefit. Yeah, yeah well, that's, true. yeah, I mean, and that's, and that's like, like, who you asking too, right? Like, you know, I know plenty of people that depending on what point in their life you ask them, uh, you know, maybe 12-step recovery did not work for them. It might have not worked six, seven, eight, yeah, nine, 100%. 15, 20 times, but it worked the last time. You know what I mean? So they're like, you know, that's the equivalent of a yeah. of a basketball team going one right. and eighty one <laughs> right. on the season. Yeah. But the one is what's important. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, it's it's so hard to gauge. Uh, you know, and you know, part of our our whole shtick is, you know, willingness to do uh, you know, whatever's required to stay clean. And I know that at past attempts in my life, I certainly was not willing to do whatever was required yeah. to stay clean. But if you'd well, asked I think me, that's a, that's a good point. Is, is, it wouldn't have been you my know, fault. When I talked about early in um, the uh, conversation is that the average person goes to rehab five to uh, four to eight times, five to eight times, something like that. And so, well, and what's funny is what that's that about what I've been. That's I think, the average. Like Some eight people a dozen go somewhere. never and they get clean. Some people go once like me. Some people go 26 times. Some you people know, go twice. And so that. everybody is yeah. trying to navigate. Uh, right. How much do I really have to give up to quit having these negative consequences? In other words, whether the negative consequences are getting arrested, getting kicked out of their of their house or, you know, losing a job. How little do I have to change to to stop having the negative consequences they typically don't go in going let me change everything in my life and quit using drugs and alcohol that's all i know and so that's part of the navigation is well the meetings didn't work well did you do 90 meetings in 90 right. days well no i went to two well oh, what did the meetings didn't work what did you work the steps exactly yeah yeah my shit was like yeah jail sucks like <laughs> i'm like jail right. sucks so what am I going to do to stop going there? Um, right. You know, but, you know, like, dude, like yeah. my wife's never been to rehab in her life. Never, never, never once. You know what I mean? Um, I've been so many times, but I still, when I got clean, wasn't yeah. in a treatment facility. It was on the streets in 12-step meetings. You know what I mean? So it's, even if there was yeah. data, it's like, what's the data going to tell yeah. you? Like, who fucking knows? Because we all have each other as data. Like we can all go out to a diner at a meeting and yeah. all trade our stories and say like, oh, well, two of them are like this and five of them are like this. And then you got the yeah. one oddball over here. And it's like, and we all look at each yeah. other and say, yeah, but who knows? 
who knows why it was that way. You know what I mean? Um, now, as far as the, the, the map stuff is, uh, well, look, dude, my personal opinion, no representation, just personal opinion, is why wouldn't uh, companies that can make money off it say that that's a yeah. working alternative solution? That's, that's just yeah, one of my being totally abstinent. It's like, you ain't making money off people going to AA and NA. Like, that's for sure. But, like, if we can keep you on the hook for a little bit uh, with the insurance companies and all that, then, you know, why wouldn't we? You know, you, you wave the epidemic flag and then you wave the solution flag over here because it's something you can make a profit off of. I'm not saying that's wrong, yeah. that it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it, it is what it is, right? Yeah. Like somebody's going to make money off it. Somebody has to make these drugs. Somebody has to sell them. Somebody has to buy them. Um, and I've always looked at those uh, as a means to an end. Uh, it's not supposed to be for like long-term sustainability. It's supposed to be like you take these things for a little bit until yeah. you're cool enough to come off them and do life on your own. Um, and that is the one thing that separates uh, whether 12-step recovery will be successful for an individual or not is surrender. I mean, that is, that's the ultimate bottom line yeah. is if you surrender, uh, you probably have a good shot. Um, and if you don't, then, you know, I mean, who knows, right? Like, but, you know, I just think that I personally have yeah. never seen anybody been told they weren't welcome any meeting ever in my life. And I've made a lot of meetings, um, but I've also kind of have seen people just be yeah. like a little it's different more the, it's around the that person. It's the Im but I would say, you know, They're implying you, look, that and from the from the floor to make people feel uncomfortable. And because I feel like it's important to say that the argument for medically assisted treatment is what they call harm reduction, which means if you're on some sort of medically assisted treatment and you go back out, you're less likely to overdose, which is true. Um, and I too agree that go on, go on. Well, hold on. I'm just going to interrupt you right there. Or you're yeah. more yeah. likely yeah, yeah. to overdose yeah, yeah. because you already have a chemical in your system. Like if you take yeah. ten zannies and you got nothing in your system, you got a good shot of surviving. Y'all, but if you true. take ten zannies and yeah, you're on two hundred thirty yeah. milligrams of methadone, that's already slowing your heart down. Maybe not. I mean, of course, the companies yeah. promoting these things are going to say that, but they're not going to point out that example. Um, but you know, I've been in the Joy Juice lines, man, and it is like a fucking flea market of people trading and right. you know goods and services yeah. like illegal schedule three narcotics that, we, one for another you know uh, what I'm another hot and, topic um, is and I, and i got this directly out of you know the in a playbook is the importance of of not classifying substances because most people that are heavy drug users yeah. and drinkers slash alcoholics is they by classifying substances, they're able to ignore the reality of what's going on. One of my, uh, a friend of mine, you know, in the circles that we run into, they always talk about how, cause our, our, a lot of our family that I grew up with in Texas are heavy drinkers. And so they'll, this particular friend is, they'll say, Oh, you know, he's so good. He doesn't really drink. But what they don't realize is he's taken, you know, 
eight to 16 oxys a day. He's smoking weed every day. And yes, he does not drink. But guess what happens when right. he tries to cut back on his on his opiate intake and his weed intake? His freaking drinking goes through the roof. You know, and the same thing when you get on methadone or some of these other things is that, right. you know, they go, oh, well, yeah, well, I'm not going to use heroin, but now I'm going to use uh, uh, meth and crack because that's not going to block it, you know, and they think they're doing well because they're not doing heroin. Right. Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's, um, you know, look, dude, like you said, when if they come out of a facility and they come with like a prescription plan and they're on that stuff and that's, they're just doing what they're told, which they trusted that facility to give yeah. them the help that they were seeking in order to find a better way of life. So the, yeah. the individual is doing the right thing by following directions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like how many people leave AMA and don't follow any directions? So, you know, when somebody comes in and they're just following the directions of their first exposure of any kind of life without using drugs, uh, you know, I think it's just like yeah. anybody else that comes to our meetings. Like, there's no rule that says you can't call them high. Like, why do we treat the guy that's nodding out better than the guy yeah. that's just taken a, a prescription from a, from a facility that he was just in? You know what I mean? And I, and I kind of always looked at it like yeah. the same. It's like, yeah, look, dude just keep coming. Like that's, that's my answer to the whole thing is like, please just keep coming. And hopefully these answers will reveal themselves to you. And you'll learn one day that you don't have to be dependent on any mind altering mood changing substance in order to find freedom from the way you used to live, you know, and that's a hard message to convey to somebody. You know, and I I also think that it's uh, a, you know, altered topic. And I am am I've come around a lot since I moved into the medical industry. It's totally different than I ever imagined. But, um, you know, the other thing that happens that I think is is funny is, you know, you got people with six months, a year, two years pontificating from the floor about how, you know, if you ain't off all the substances, you know, you ain't really clean, blah, blah, blah. And they don't know what that dude's going through or that girl's going through or what's talked about with their doctor or if they need it or whatever. And I just think that that is such the dark side of it is someone is on some sort of replacement therapy. They're taking some sort of psychotropic, uh, you know, medication as they as prescribed and as they should. They're hanging around. They're being of service. But over time, they think that they either don't feel welcome or they should get off all drugs. And then and maybe they don't get as deep into the steps as they should. Nine months later, they relapse, overdose and die. I feel like that's a failure. And it's and you could equally say, as they say in religion, oh, they didn't really surrender enough. They must not have worked as hard. But, you know, if I'm a if I'm a parent and I know that my son. I ain't trying to hear that shit. Like, take the fucking drugs. Like, take the replacement. I don't give a fuck what they. Yeah, you ain't trying to hear that shit. Take the replacement, and and that's (laughs) that. I think you you said it really well. Is that it will be revealed at some point. Hopefully, it'll be revealed, and hopefully, I'm not the one. I'm the one that makes you feel comfortable and protected, and I can pull your side and help you kind of work through that. And if you're on them for two years, and then you get off of them, and then you're you know. But you work through the steps and you see your counselor and you do all the follow up and you got to like, who am I to say you shouldn't be on them that long? Um, I think the I, I think the real misinterpretation that 
for, for a lot of people yeah. is a lot of times the medical community say, oh, yeah, you just take this for the rest of your life and you can go on about your business as usual. And, and that's just that's fucking ridiculous. It makes no sense. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, until your liver fails, which it would have. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. And I think that that just goes to show you the just the level of and I don't want to say ignorance, uh, just the level of just not knowing yeah. what it is that is possible through 12 step recovery, through, you know, just buying in and taking a few right. suggestions, surrendering to the fact that like, yeah, dude, when you use bad shit happens, uh, you know what I mean? Like, that's all you really need to know. If you believe that, like you're good. And then, you know, um, you know, through, of course, like the 12 steps and get a sponsor and a hunger and like all these other like service and prayer and like all these other important things. But, you know, that community, I don't think has a great enough interest in something that really doesn't have anything to do with them, which we've made it such a point to not have anything to do with that community that it's like, you know, how do we bridge that gap? Like in my personal opinion, uh, a drug treatment facilities number one prescription or number one aim or job is to direct people to the rooms of 12-step recovery like i feel like that's all that any of them should really be doing um because well, that's i mean in that individual regardless i've, of the I've moved a bit on this and and in in the most purest form yes um i if if they, if if the healthcare community did what I advocate for, which is the to if someone wants to, if they're ready to detox and they're ready to, uh, you know, get help that their insurance covers and they get help, like they go into detox and they go into treatment and then they have two years of follow up and they they recommend twelve step and they see a, a therapist and they do all this kind of stuff, right? Because I think that the reality is is again going back to this four to eight time trip i want to whatever the prescription is and prescription meaning how often do you have to come in and see your therapist how often you have to see a doctor how often do you have to go to um, to group therapy meetings how often do you have to go to 12 step like if i get to just decide for paul who's brand new uh, whatever that prescription is going to be, it's going to be high touch. I'm going to, you're going to get, and then this is, let's just assume, uh, we treat, uh, we treat addiction and mental health. Like we do cancer and the money's there and it's proven that it works. Like Paul, you're going to have to go to a meeting every day. You're going to have to see your peer recovery coach every day be via phone for the first six months or in person for the first six months. You're going to have to take this medication you're going to have to check in with your therapist, but we can't do that because it's so fucking expensive and it's preposterous to think that someone has to go that much. And my hope is, is that slowly the medical, the, in the right. early on, the medical touch is going to be high, but the handoff to 12 step, it, the, the, the medical touch is high and then slowly the medical touch goes down and you're left with 12 step. And it's smooth and seamless and it's paid for and you don't have to be, you know, rich to be able to afford all that. You know, com conversely, just 12 step only, 
yes, that works. But, um, you know, we go back to how long it takes. Like that, I, I feel like that was one of the reasons why 12 step had such a bad rap that it only works 5% of the time because 12, we've been around since 1934 and a has been around since the fifties, you know, and, and, uh, we, yeah, I know. I, I agree. If it didn't work, it wouldn't have lasted. Like just like the medical well, community is always trying to come out with yeah, something I th- new. I think it's, there, there like, is the value. We, we really it, haven't earlier changed anything. Is, is I always laugh when <laughs> no. people talk about uh, a lot in the medical community. They talk about research backed. It's re- it's a proven. Uh, I can't remember the phrasing now. I'm uh, now I'm goofing on it. But they're basically saying this is has the stamp of approval of research and 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 studies, et cetera. And I always go, yeah, but who's funding the research? You know, is it the drug companies? Is it the insurance companies? Is it the government that's, that's influenced by the lobbies exactly. of the drug? And, you know, and so you kind of laugh a, a, a bit, but I don't think only 12 step. Uh, I, 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 even though I don't agree with the way that the medical community go is going per se, that the fact that there's more people are having access and people are warming up to the idea of, of of addiction and mental health being a real thing, and it's going to be more than just going and seeing a counselor once a week and taking these pills. I think that it can only be a positive benefit. But Dr. Drew brings up a really, really great point about 12-step and why. I mean, Paul, I've had multiple therapists tell me that they don't like 12 they don't like sending their people to 12 step because they contradict what they're saying and these are people that are heavy heavy on med- medically assisted which surprise surprise but but dr drew had said one thing is is that right. I, need, I want my people seeing face to face with someone multiple times a day and the the medical community in order for them to do that it would be so freaking expensive to pay someone and charge insurance for me to have three people see Paul every single day, the 12 step community will not only do it for free, but that actually helps them when they rely on 12 step. So we have this, we have this uh, resource that's worth right. billions of dollars to the healthcare system and the healthcare system kind of poo-poos it a little bit in the, in the overall scheme of things, but it's free and the healthcare system doesn't have the, the manpower to do it. Um, right. Well, that's why. I mean, that's, you know, that, well, that would be the obvious answer is, you know, that's almost too obvious uh, is that there's no money involved or money exchange. Um, you know, but look, I mean, I might be, well, I'll admit to probably being quite biased because of my own experience. Um, but look, I've had experience like across the board, man, like all the experiences, like you come out and you're on like a, a um Oh, what the fuck? Like a Suboxone program or, you know, like they give you a, a methadone taper while you're detoxing or, you know, on my own, on my own accord, I decide uh, I'm just going to smoke weed and I'm not going to shoot dope anymore or, you know, whatever, dude. And the only thing that has ever worked for me has been 12 step recovery. And in my experience with being an active member of a 12 step fellowship is I have seen Far more people stumble into our meetings uh, fresh off the streets, not a pot to piss in, absolutely nothing going for them, not a penny to their name, no family, no nothing, get and stay clean and become successful members of society than I have 
people on medically assisted treatment plans yeah. uh, come in, get off that shit, yeah. and stay clean. Like that's just my that's just one addict's view, right? Like that's just my personal experience. Is I, I I mean I've seen countless people, including myself, come fresh off the streets, like no shoelaces, no money, no cigarettes, like you know, no fucking nothing, and you know, just do twelve step recovery and do what I'm what was suggested of me, and you know, my life's turned out pretty good. Whereas a lot of the people I've known that have come in on like, you know, methadone, suboxone or, or, yeah. or like whatever. Um, Vivitrol is kind of like a different animal because um, it's newer and it's like supposedly not mood altering or mind changing. <laughs> although I'd beg to differ that if you know if you can't get high, that might change your mind about getting high and spending the money. Um, but I, I, you know, I've seen a lot of those people, man. I can really only think of one in particular, but maybe two or three like success stories of people coming in on yeah. like a replacement program and eventually getting off it and getting and staying clean. And, um, you know, but I, again, there's countless. Yeah, and I that think have, that there's, that there's, I've seen a, the there's a lot to unpack there. Cause I know them. there are people out there that have gotten clean on uh, a replacement therapy program. I've talked to a few of them. I am too quite biased. I, I'm, so heavy I, I do lean towards 12 steps sure. total abstinence abstinence etc um but i also think that one thing um that's hard to quantify is the gift of desperation in other words i was the one of the metaphors or, or, or comp comparisons i was using it is if you've got stage one or two cancer you know you're gonna take the treatment and you're gonna maybe make some life changes you know but you're only gonna make as many as you absolutely have to but you're on stage four, you're going to be like, right. I'll change everything. You tell me what to do and I'll, yeah. you know, I'll do anything. And so I think that's the same thing yep. with, with yep. addiction is I think that the no shoelaces junkie who can't hold a job, they're the easy ones to diagnose, right? They're the easy ones that go, okay, you definitely have a problem. Yeah, you're right. I definitely have right. a problem. I have no shoelaces. The vast majority of people have a have like a they're more like the stage one, stage two, stage three drug addict that are still holding down a job. I mean, that's what I was. I mean, I was still holding down a job. Nobody. Most of the people around me are like, I don't know. I would say I'm an addict. Yeah. I'm an alcoholic. And they're like, yeah, you know what? I don't really think you are. I mean, look at all these things that are going well for you. And so I think that the, a large portion of our society fall into that functioning alcoholic drug addict you know uh place and it's hard to convince them or or for them to get so far backed into a corner and get that gift of desperation that they're willing to change everything um and i think that it's a, it's yeah it's just a hard swallow for me. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, it's just right. a hard it, swallow it, dude, for me. I get it. It does not Don't make. Take it does drugs. not make sense. Take our drugs from an abstinence base. Like, you know what I'm saying? And look, dude, I will not. I take it. Look, I've bought. Tell, you know, tell me about that. Help, help me understand to get that because, like, I you know what I mean? A, like, I couldn't get my hands on what I wanted. But it gets you high. I mean, that's it. You know, it gets you high. It's just like anything else. Like, you, you know, back when, when when it was the pills and not the dope. And if I couldn't get fucking, 
you know, the pills that and I wanted. It, but uh, how hot, like, what is it? Because my understanding is that aside from early on when you're trying to figure out the proper dose, um, like the, the dosage should be low enough that it takes the cravings away but doesn't impair you. Uh, what's how does how does that work like what's the it should be but you know um it, i mean it, it was it certainly wasn't my first it one of those things it, was, it wasn't the high that i was them, looking like, for. you know dope fiends are smart you mix the box um, but, and a couple other things and you can get a nice good buzz going on yeah yeah, a couple of zannies, you know, you throw the benzos in the mix, you know what I mean? I mean, it, it certainly don't block you from, like, doing, uh, like, coke or, like, amphetamines or something like that. And, uh, you know, and that's another thing, man. It's like you said about classifying substances. It's like, what does that say to the member who, like, never did opiates at all and has only done coke their whole life where there is no physical withdrawal? Um for the most part, uh, it's mostly yeah. mental, but you know, they got to be abstinent. They got to be a hundred percent. That's the only way for them to get clean. But there's a, there's a, there's a special formula that involves drugs that cost lots of money to the insurance company uh, <laughs> yeah. for you to get clean little <laughs> yeah. Jimmy white kid from the suburbs that now does dope in the middle of a fentanyl yeah. epidemic. So all of a sudden all the powers that be are concerned yeah. about it. Yeah. Uh, look, people have been shooting yeah. dope since fucking Endo China, dude. You know what I mean? <laughs> this shit's been around a long time. Uh, but all of a sudden, it makes its way into, you know, yeah. white suburban America. And lo and behold, now it's an epidemic. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, we got to have a, yeah. a, a, a drug answer to this drug problem. And But we're not going to tell you that that's what it is when that's exactly what it is. Um. So I would never tell anybody yeah. not to do something that's going to make their circumstances better than it was with the old shit they were doing. That's that, that's that's something I want to yeah. be clear about uh, is like, look, yeah. if this is going to give you a better shot, then you should do it. You know what I mean? If you in your mind believe this is your only path, I can't convince you that my path can also be your path. So I'm not going to try. And I think then you should go right ahead and you should you should do yeah. that stuff. But I say it under the guise of like it's it should be just to bridge the gap, man. It should just be a means to an end. It's not a long term, sustained recovery. Uh, because look, man, and we're really going to get into it. Is you know like our first step is we admitted we were powerless over our addiction that our lives had become unmanageable. Like, how can you truly surrender to the fact that you're never going to yeah. use again when yeah. you just changed what you're using because a doctor said so? You know what I mean? It's like, can you even do that? Like, can you even participate in that? And I think that that is part of the, the you know, the ostracized feeling that doesn't get really talked about. Is if, you know, if you're on that shit and you already got a chip on your shoulder thinking you're different because everybody thinks they're different regardless of what their circumstance is when they first start coming to meetings, um, you know, and you're in a first step meeting. And everybody's talking about, you know, how like complete abstinence is this and surrender to all mind and mood ordering substances that. And, you know, I couldn't until I stopped using until I got off everything to, you know, I shot dope until I put the weed down. And like when I, when I realized alcohol was in trouble and all that shit, and you're sitting there and you're like, damn, man, my doctor's got me fucking dosed up telling me that this is how I'm supposed yeah. to be. But that's not yeah. what these people are saying. 
Um, that's nobody's fault in that scenario. You know what I mean? Like there, there's no blame to put on anybody there. Um, but it's like, you know, does somebody who's fresh out of rehab, fresh off the streets, fresh on a maintenance program, even have the wherewithal or the, the consciousness, yeah. like in I their agree. own spirit, I mean, it's, I mean, you I make put their really, finger really on really that. I would say probably not. I think that there's, you know what I mean? I think I want, yeah. I feel like it's important to talk about. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, on one hand, like I said, I'm, I'm a big fan of Dr. Drew and he kind of goes, I'm kind of on the fence about it. But what I don't like is how hard the medical community is pushing it. And the medical community, it's kind of like when these doc, when a doctor, a medical doctor goes through, uh, you know, uh, medical school, they get a smidgen of addiction education and they get a smidgen of dietary and nutrition education. Everything else is right. How do I diagnose and prescribe a drug? And I think that talking to people about real, what the real solution for recovery and mental health is, and it's so out there, it's kind of like going, Paul, you have cancer. Well, let me tell you how we're going to cure cancer with your diet. You'd be like, what? Screw a diet. Give me the, give me the pills. Give me the, you know, it, it is so foreign, you know, uh, but, but I think we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, yeah. yeah. It depends how woke you are. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like young kids say, stay woke. Uh, it depends how woke you are uh, to, per se is that like, yeah, look, and it's funny. So you, you take the addictions thing and then you take the dietary thing that you just mentioned is, you know, as like, as just a regular adult in America today with a poor diet, um, that's like somewhat healthy, you know, like I smoke cigarettes, I drink coffee, uh, you know, obviously I don't drink or do drugs. Um, one of our faves getting the cheesesteak after the tasting food, even even though we already had uh, dinner Um, once, you know, but (laughs) of course, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> right. But even I know that if I just changed my diet, just certain little things in my diet, I would feel so much better physically, which would then snowball into feeling better mentally, which would then f- snowball into feeling better emotionally, which then leads to more stability in my thinking and my behaving. And then I'm on a firmer spiritual ground and I'm talking, just adding in a salad a day would do that for me. And I ain't no fucking doctor, dude, I'm an industrial painter, but even I know that. So the fact that like, it's always about like a drug or like some solution that only we, the medical community can provide is it just seems a little hokey to me sometimes. You know what I mean? That it's like nobody's going to go out and tell you that like, yo, man, listen, if you spent $1.99 on enough broccoli to eat a serving a day for a week, you'd feel like a million bucks and you wouldn't need nothing from us. Well, Nobody that has too, a dollar the on the line is going to tell you that. Um, is, you know what I'm saying? Why would I, they? I, I think that there's a really good parallel to, to, to be drawn because when I'm, to, when we're, when I'm up in front of the room talking to a bunch of normies, not everybody can understand. I would say a lot of people can understand what it's like to have a little bit too much to drink. Um, you know, but even there's plenty of people that would exclude what's being said from the front of the room because you're talking about drugs, but 
everybody, and I mean everybody, can identify with knowing I should change my diet and either being unwilling to or trying and not being able to and just kind of turning a blind eye to it and it's not that bad and I could be same same thing yeah. well hey when I get that fat then I'll really change or if I have these kind of health conditions it'll really change and you don't realize the, the repercussions until 30 or 40 years down the road and you go damn I knew the solution the whole time and I was unwilling or what you really realize is unable to make the change I, I'm powerless over what I put in my mouth. Um, I think that there could be a really um, there could be a really good way to articulate right. that to help more people understand and ultimately make change. I mean, that's I, I think you mentioned it other uh, uh, earlier about addiction being a rec- or recovery being a family thing, and I, I think the family is one of the most underdiagnosed part of addiction because. If you're the heroin addict with no shoes living on the street, it's easy for me as a family to point to you as you're the one in our family that has the issue. Or you have the raging alcoholic that's putting their fist through a door. He's the one with the issue. But a lot of people don't realize that they also contribute. You know, with my wife being in uh, Al-Anon, you know, in family recovery, and they have Narnon for Narcotics Anonymous. And, um, you know, a lot of people think that if my addict or alcoholic would just go mm-hmm. fix themselves that our family would be okay and and so many of us that so many people realize that they're part of the issue and not only is this guys who's in our family now uh that's wreaking havoc we've had addiction through our and mental health through our entire generations going back five six seven generations that influence how we behave as a family that all that goes un, undiagnosed um it, it's hard rudolph the red the drug addict or the alcoholics like Rudolph, he's easy to diagnose, but what yeah. about his crew? You know, it's hard diagnosing the crew when they don't have the big red nose. Um, yeah. Right. 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 And it's, um, you know, it's, well, you know, stereotypes, uh, stigmas, um, you know, what you see and what you're exposed to, uh, you know, content wise, as far as like, TV and, and, and shit like that, like how that person on drugs is always portrayed, um, you know, that that also builds up, uh, you know, things in people's uh, views, which then translates to their behaviors towards people that are they're harder to break down than they are to build uh, those stigmas and those walls and, you know, that kind of shit. So it's like. You know, when you talk about the family, I mean, you know, and I mean, God, how many times have you been in a conversation with this, right? Like either, you know, like, like you sponsor a guy or, or, or whatever, man. And, uh, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're, they're in a romantic relationship and their partner does something to, that really upsets them. Right. And, uh, you know, and I have, I have this conversation with people all the time. It's like, okay, yeah, look, you're, you're allowed to be upset. That was wrong. You know what I mean? Like in your mind, that that was that was wrong. You, you're allowed to be upset. You're entitled to feel how you think you need to feel for a certain amount of time. But at some point, the work also right. becomes yours to get past this, even though you weren't the wrongdoer. So even for like, you know, like a family member and it, it's not fair, like I won't claim it to be fair. But for like, you know, like my family also had to do some work to be uh, arrive at a place to where 
you know, we could have the right kind of relationship after I got clean. You know what I mean? Like there was also work that they needed <laughs> yeah. to do. Like, like not so much trust they needed to give back, but like, you know, pretty much blind faith, like jumping right. off the cliff <laughs> thinking that like, yeah, look, every time he's in our house, we don't need to make him clap his hands when he goes upstairs. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, that kind of shit. And, uh, you know, it, is it fair? No, I don't think it's fair. But that's just the reality of it, man. Like, if my wife does something to piss me off, um, you know, I, I, I can only right. execute so much justice when it comes to just berating her with whatever my fucking point is. Uh, yeah. And eventually that time expires and then the work becomes mine to get the fuck over it. You know what I'm saying? And then to, in order to move past it. So it's like the same thing with like, you know, Rudolph the drug addict, kid, the black sheep, right? Um, you know, spouses probably more than like parents, I would think, <laughs> yeah. of an addict. Because, uh, you know, you're in the same dwelling a lot of the times and it's like a, it's a, it's a chosen relationship, exactly. Um, but, you know, my parents were a lot quicker to get on the recovery train than my little brother was. Uh, you know, it took quite some time for him and I, for him to be willing to rebuild the relationship that I destroyed because that was work that he had to do. I fucked it up. I ruined it. I made all the bad choices and put strain on our relationship. But the rebuilding, I was all gung-ho, and it was him that had to, you know, take a look at it and come to a point yeah. where he was willing to, you I, know, I think make certain a, concessions in order for us to too, be like which, brothers which again. I think is you know really what I mean? And he didn't do nothing wrong. A uh, lot of times, if you have a, an addict or someone that's that's behaving in a way that's, you know, whatever – um, it's so easy to point the finger and say, yo, Rudolph, you need to change. You need to change. You need to change. When in reality, if that family member were start making those changes, you know, that's probably the best way to change, to help move the addict or alcoholic in the direction, because, you know, what triggers you, what triggered you before no longer triggers you, you, the areas in which you were enabling that, addict or alcoholic you're no longer doing because now you're becoming aware of it and you're able to slowly help change that even if that person doesn't stop using at least you start changing i think the other thing that's you know uh kind of funny is the amount of family members that come and say oh so and so needs to go to meetings and so and so needs to do all these changes and i go well hey well the first thing you need to do is you need to go to meetings they have meetings for families and spouses like you and they're like oh no 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 i well i'm not the one with the issue they, they're they're the one with the issue and i think that that you know it's just important that have, <laughs> right. if you want to learn how to be yeah, a yeah, painter yeah. you need to go hang with painters if you want to be a plumber you got to hang out with plumbers so if you want to learn how to stay clean and change find a new way to live and right. change or you want to be a you want to learn how do you deal with an addict in the family you got to go hang out with people that have successfully navigated that for a long period of time to learn what to do you can't just go. You can't just go watch, read Cosmo, and learn how to change your husband. Right. You know? it, it, go, it goes goes both ways. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Yeah. And I used to. <laughs> right. yeah, my parent, my, you know, like I would always end up back at my mom's house, right? For whatever, like I, you know, I'd crawl out the window at rehab and end up back on my mom's couch, and she would take me in, and you know, that get over from jail, and you ain't coming here. And then they crack the gates. I call, Ma, you gotta come pick me up, and she would, and shit like that. And she would always like, <laughs> you, know, you can't right. be taking advantage of us this way. 
And eventually I was yeah. like, well, then kick me the fuck out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to yeah. take, even this is me, like, <laughs> hi. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not taking responsibility for this shit. This is your bad like, decision, yeah. man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you keep telling me I can't come here. I show up here and you're like, oh, you want some food? Like, you know, I'm like a stray cat, dude. I'm going to keep coming. You know, that's until serious. they finally they're, they're put their foot stuff. down and put yeah. me out. And, you know, so lo and behold, I was a, like, oh, shit, this, this shit is really getting real out here. Maybe I need to make a change. Quite a bit about is the topic of yeah, anonymity. Yeah, but same with the people and, that and, got it. Yeah, uh, yeah. For the listeners, a lot of times, I, I, you know, my stance is, um, you know, the, anonymity mm-hmm. is a valued principle in the rooms of 12-step. Um, I don't need to go uh, out and... Uh, see my boy Paul and say, oh, hey, Paul, we met at the 12 step. You don't know who Paul's with. You don't know his wife knows. You don't, you know, you, you don't know if he might have repercussions at work. Um, I also don't need to be going telling Paul's business in the meeting. But where I feel like anonymity is not only misinterpreted, but is taking so far to the extreme is that guys like you coming off the streets, you quit doing drugs. You find a new way to live. Your entire life changes. And some people interpret that, Paul, you shouldn't tell anybody about that. You should only talk about that in the room. And you should live your life in such a way that's so attractive that people come up and beg you to say, Paul, tell me what happened. How did you get off these drugs? As opposed to being a person that is a good representation of recovery, figuring out a way to tell people that you're in recovery. And Oh, by the way, if you know someone struggling with addiction or mental health, they can reach out to me and my wife. We have a lot of experience in that area. Um, Meanwhile, uh, Hey, how do you want your house painted? Or, Hey, thanks for having me over for dinner. Where do you stand on this and how can you help, you know, yeah, just where do you stand on this and how can we help move the conversation forward so more people in our normie community know that recovery works, that they have allies in their own neighborhood, in their workplaces, in their churches and meeting centers. They don't have to find us just in the room of 12 step. I mean, it's a great question, man. And I think it'll be like an, an ongoing, like blurry line, uh, because of how misinterpreted anonymity actually is. Like most people hear anonymity and to them through, you know, misinterpretation of what they've heard other people say, or, or or like whatever, they just think like, yeah, like it's a big secret cult. And nobody like it's like rule number one of Fight Club. Nobody talk about Fight Club kind of shit. And, uh, you know, that's not what it means at all. That's like the farthest thing from what it means. And, uh, you know, we have literature, you know, we have books like the basic text and shit like that that goes into like in-depth explanation of what we mean when we when we use the term anonymity as a principle. And, you know, it's far greater than a state of bearing no names. And it's like. Yeah, we're not supposed to use our last name and like, uh, like the media, should we encounter them for whatever reason, um, because that's not for anonymity though. That's to not misrepresent um, our fellowship because somebody doesn't know any better. They might think like, oh, right. that guy's from NA and he said that medically assisted treatment is bad. NA thinks medically assisted treatment is bad. 
Like, no, that's not, you know, that's, that's why we don't use our, our last names. That's why, you know, we, we stay out of like, you know, the media and stuff like that. Um, but anonymity really, as far as the fellowships language is concerned, it's that no yeah. one addict has any more of an opportunity or equal right to recover than anybody else. I mean, that's really yeah. the foundation of anonymity is that, you know, we're all equals. That's what it means for real. But, you know, the whole like, you know, what you see here, what you hear here, let it stay, you know, that kind of thing. I think people kind of mistake that as anonymity or if somebody says, you know, say somebody has a nickname that their last name is a part of and somebody refers yeah. to them as that in a meeting. It's like, oh, sorry, I yeah. broke your anonymity. It's like, no, you didn't. He said right there, like his anonymity is not broken. We're all in the same room. You know what I mean? Um, but I, as far as like, getting out there now i can only speak for myself right my 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 experience is 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 yeah. personalized to me i have the type of career where it doesn't matter yeah right like you know i'm i'm a i'm an industrial painter dude like i'm around like roughnecks right uh you know what i mean like convicted felon neck tattoos no big deal in my line of work yeah. um you know more common than not um, but I also, I, so it doesn't matter for me. Like I'm not going to, I'm going to have zero consequence if my job finds out that I'm in yeah. recovery, which, you know, implies that I used to do drugs and now don't, which I don't think that's a bad thing for anybody to know is like, you know, that's one of the first things <laughs> right. I told this company when they <laughs> hired me, like, yo, you ever got a job going where you need somebody with clean piss? I'm your guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, you go to a refinery, a lot of them take urines. It's like, I'll pass the urine, bro. Don't even sweat it. Send me in. Um, you know, but I do know people, uh, close friends of mine, where they would have, like what? Uh, what you what know, dire of, consequences one of the things, one in of the their career, experiences. Um, which would be like a domino effect, considering like, you know, like in the medical field. Uh, you know, somebody in the medical field, yeah, uh, that's you, true. you know, you're not really yeah. allowed to have a history of substance abuse if you are handling those substances as part of your job. Uh, and that's just like, you know, that's just one part of it. I mean, the next part of it is like, you know, somebody finds out and then, you know, you, you have 200 grand student loans that are serving you no purpose. And then you get on this list that doesn't exist, but it does. And you know what I'm saying? It's like, there's a whole like, you know, snowball effect of that. Um, you know, I personally, my, my job, would, I think, would be the only thing that would make me want to, like, protect that side of the anonymity. Um, luckily for me is I, I don't have that kind of job. But me personally, I make the choice to, yeah. uh, you know, for lack of a better expression, break my anonymity uh, as often as possible, really. Um, you know, like, look, everybody in my neighborhood knows what kind of person I was when I was getting high. You know what I mean? So for me to come around there and they see me, you know, like looking good, feeling good, smelling good, yeah. like new truck, new clothes, new wife, new life, like all that kind of shit. Uh, who am yeah. I to not tell them where I found that? Like that, that's, that's highway robbery, man. Like it's not a secret to keep for ourselves. It's like, you know, I'm like as long if they ask, if they ask. like in the beginning, when I was newer, I didn't yeah. really know the difference. And I was kind of like, uh, you know, waving the, the N.A. flag everywhere I went, <laughs> right. like, almost trying to like recruit people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, you know, like how you're living sucks. You should come do what I'm doing. And that, you know, 
that doesn't yeah. really work like that. You know what I mean? Um, but if somebody asks, that shows at least a shred of curiosity yeah. to I can then be like, oh, yeah, no problem, dude. I, you know, I, I got like this because I came to NA and did what I was told. Like, and, and, and if you're interested in that, uh, you know, here's my phone number. You call me anytime. Or if your son, or if your neighbor, or if your your sister, or whoever it is, uh, has any interest in that, is yeah, yeah. Here's where we are. Here's when and where you can find yeah. us. This is what we're about. And uh, you know, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And that's all I can really tell people. That's all I know personally. Um, yeah. But I, I really, it's more just like a, 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 a job thing, yeah. just for me. Like for me, all my friends are in NA. Like I talk to like one person from my old neighborhood. That's not right. like a relative, you know what I mean? So it's like, and, and he I, knows I think I, I've been uh, to because of, what I oftentimes contemplate so the big thing, like and I've been him. lucky enough that um, in my profession, I you know, when it I was, hadn't really been a negative uh, thing, and I and I openly, I mean, I was dude, I was twenty one when I got clean. I've been telling people from the gate, and I too had to learn not to whack people over the head and try not to, um, you know, I don't. You go and say, hey, nice to meet you. I'm a member of, you know, this fellowship and blah, 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 blah. I've developed a, a, uh, a strategic way to say, hey, by the way, I've got experience in this area. And if you know someone that has that needs help, you can ask me because I have experience in that area. And if they bite, it's kind of like fishing. I'm just throwing the fishing rod out there. And a lot of people go, oh, great. Thanks for sharing. Or, oh, great. You know, whatever. But occasionally those people go, oh, my son needs help. Oh, my wife. Oh, I need help. And now I can go, oh, by the way, it's kind of like opening the jacket. I can go, oh, well, actually, here's here's what I here's how I did it. Yeah. Um, and I think that by not doing if you're not doing that, I feel like you're um, you are being a disservice to your community right. as a whole, because people need to know when crap hits the fan that the only option is not go to the ER or call an 800 number or search and try to find somebody to help their neighbor can help their people that they work with. Now you did bring up a good point about the job and, and probably the first time it smacked me in the face was in the uh, education community. And, you know, uh, 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 Johnny's teacher uh, gets a DWI or is in recovery a couple of years and, you know, some of the parents find out that she's in recovery and now they don't want their kid in their room, uh, you know, in their class. And that is a good point. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. But my point, what I wonder is, at what point does that employee of the that teacher become yeah. a, re- an, a valuable asset and resource even in the rooms? And I go one of the girls that I was talking to this about was. Well, what happens when Austin goes to school and he starts telling people in the rooms uh, in his class that his daddy goes to meetings? I say, amazing. And I want him to tell people that because I want to be able to tell the parents in that room that I'm a I'm an ally. I'm a resource. If you know someone that's struggling with mental health or addiction, that you you your kid has a father who has experience. I want that Mm -hmm. to happen. But I don't want them. I don't want Susie, the teacher, saying that when she's got three months clean. Keep your mouth shut. But right. Well, that's exactly yeah, and it's a totally different ballgame now with social media, which you know we'll just we'll get into that in a sec. It's just that um, and you need you to know, learn how to carry. I, it I think well. that uh, you know, yeah. it's, it's all it's kind of like it's how you carry it too. It's just like anything else, right? Like like you were in sales when you lived here in Philly, right? 
So it's like if you're selling a product and you approach your customer as like, yeah, well, you know, I mean, I do have this this other option. Uh, it's like, you know, I don't like to talk about it much. Um, but you could, yeah. you, you could take a look at the, the go in this direction with, with this product over here, if you want it, if not, no big deal. And you know, that's how right. you, you, you come at it. Then, then that just adds to the stigma. You know what I mean? Like it's a shameful thing. Like I have, I have zero shame about how I lived before I found recovery because of I, it's easy for me to say I found recovery. So you know to be ashamed yeah. of now. My life's like really good. Yeah. Um, but you know, if I come in and I'm like, oh dude, bro, like I'm in recovery. Bet you didn't know that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like you would have I was talking, you know, somebody at work, and how many times you had this conversation? Whereas you're talking to somebody and it's like, yeah, you know, I like I I, I just drink, I just smoke a little bit, I don't do this much and that I, you know, I don't, you know, right. blah, blah. And then as soon as you mention right. that you're in recovery. All of a sudden, you know, when they were in college, they went yeah. through a phase with perk 30s. And now all of a sudden they're dropping yeah. that on you like, oh, well, now, you know, I'm, my shit wasn't as bad as your shit. So now I'll expose this part of my life to you because you you showed me yours first. You know what I mean? So I, I just try to get out in front of it, honestly, man. Like I, if I feel like it's an app time, I don't advertise it the way I did. But if I feel like it's an app time to yeah. say like, hey, just so you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, I used to live like yeah. this. I think uh, now I, think I live like right. that. And, and I, and it's because know, one of the same, one of the reasons I have and that's all it takes, man. They can the take industry. it from there. I mean, and, you know what I mean? Whatever you want to do with that. I like to talk about and why I mention it so much. There's a really insidious th- thing, which I'll tell you in a second about me mentioning it. But if we're going to move the conversation forward, we have to have people that has been able to, that have been able to successfully navigate recovery going from, this life way of life to this new way of life successfully it is our obligation if we're going to move the conversation forward for the general public for our kids sake when our kids are old enough if we want them to have access to more resources we have got to do a better job of letting people know not what fellowship that we're in that we used to live this way we found a new way to live and if you need help we can help you and I got people that can help. Meanwhile, let's move on and whatever. Um, I, I just think that is, that is one of the ways that we have to really push forward. Again, you need to learn how to say it. You need to learn, be a good representation. You can't just go out and throw up on people like I used to early on. Um, but, but we have to, you know, and, and it's our obligation to teach our new guys how to do it. And we- gonna be apt that they start doing it yo you got two Same, years yeah now. yeah you, can that's be, no good. you need a little yeah. be a little bit more open you know again this is my opinion and this is kind of how i represent and and i would also argue those people that are that could have negative consequences what i i look at it is maybe you don't come out all the way but let me push you to get more open you know Maybe it's not all the way open, but I want to push you and make you uncomfortable so you get a little bit more open than what you were willing to before because I think it's more beneficial right. to the it, the greater good, I, our community and the world that our kids are going to live in. I think that that's part of the, the way that we move it forward. Um, Yeah, and if we're just another point on that is if if we're if we're being real about it, right? 
there is a skillful way to extract sure. information from somebody in a conversation yeah. to where then you can make a better educated judgment yeah. on how safe it is to share <laughs> right. some of your own experience. And, uh, you know, like we're addicts, dude, we are masters at that. Like, just because we're clean, we don't forget those skills. Like there is certainly a skillful, tactful way to draw things out right. of people that don't know that's what you're doing. Uh, and I'm not, you know, look, I'm not trying to come on Preston's podcast and be like, you should don't feed people and tell you shit about themselves. Yeah. Like, no, but you can take that. Um, and we've had this conversation before that like, yo, any defect of character is really just an asset blown out of proportion. So you can take that skill of, you know, you don't, yeah. almost like borderline manipulate, you know, just feeling out the situation. Um, and then look, dude, if it feels like the reception is not going to be there, then you don't push. But if it feels like, yo, this dude has something he's dying to tell me and is scared because he's ashamed, I'm going to I'm yeah. going to lift the veil of guilt and shame and say, look, man, it's OK because I get it. Like, this is how you know that I get it. You know what I'm saying? Um, so there, there is a way. Uh, and look, dude, our, our, our 12 step is, you know, the first thing that has to happen before you're doing this is having had past tense a spiritual <laughs> right. awakening right so if, if you're not having the spiritual awakening you might not be the best representation um but if you have had or in the process of yeah. having had the spiritual awakening uh you know you carry this message yeah. to suffer and act practice principles all your affairs it's like it doesn't say anything about in the rooms yeah it does not specify in the rooms at all. You don't know who the suffering addict is. Suffering addict could be four persons removed from the person you're talking to. Doesn't mean you won't ever be able to connect with that suffering addict in the future. Uh, you know, yeah. if you if you tell your dirty little secret about how good your fucking life is, because you you had some willingness at some point to participate in recovery. You know what I'm saying? So it's not it's not as taboo. And I think that's the problem is we need to get away from this idea that yeah. you know it's just you know we're sold on at such a young age man drugs are bad you know the the, the junkie in right. the street the two eggs in the frying pan in the 80s well, I like think the uh you know all that I kind of stuff it's like well yeah uh, they're bad but the i stopped doing them that's how everything's good normalize like, why does that part also have to be shaming, secret, shaming you know? guilt by starting to do that but i think one of the key most important things especially if you're listening to this and you're new is it is imperative to have a sponsor, a mentor, a group of supported, you know, men and, and or women that help guide you through these tough conversations, because I didn't just learn how I just didn't just figure out how to have these conversations. I had predecessors, people that have been there before me teach me. One of the things of, you know, that I that I really like about you, Paul, is you and I have these drawn out conversations and it helps me figure out where do I stand? What do I think? How can I ask Paul a little bit of direction? Because if I wade into these conversations, whether it's a conversation with my wife uh, at work, with a newcomer, with the sponsee, whatever, if 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 I just wait in, I can sometimes do more damage than than what I was uh, expecting in hell. If I knew the answer, I wouldn't need a 12 step fellowship or any kind of spirituality, any kind of mentorship anyway. But but what I end up doing is I, I usually back myself into a corner because most of my thinking is warped in a sure. selfish, self-centered, 
egotistical, you know, way that I, um, and what's even funny about that is a lot of times I think I know what the hell to do and I think I'm smarter and I think I know what to say and I say it better, but most of, you know, often, even, even with multiple years clean, I will back myself into a corner where the only way out is to use, and that's not just use drugs. I'll use, you know, I'll I'll start reaching for defects and I'll start reaching for this. And, you know, I'll drag my wife into a fight all because I back myself into a corner. So if you're new, if you're old, whatever, it's imperative to have mentorship, sponsorship, people that can kind of guide you through this. And you're not alone in, in this stuff. Uh, not only not alone getting clean, but not alone in navigating life. And yeah. I still I'm just so grateful that I st- I mean, I still got a call list of 20 people. I just start banging out phone calls most of the time. So. Uh... Yeah, well, they say, you know, it's yeah. like running it past somebody is unavoidable and inevitable. <laughs> right. Your That's only true. choice around That's that true. is before or you're after the mistake. Them. You might as well do it before. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. you're going to run it past somebody. That's- if you want to do it before or after the mistake is made, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, sure. a lot of the mistakes aren't, are it's not too serious anymore. Uh, but when you're fragile and your foundation still being poured, so to speak, uh, you know, you can leave a pretty significant yeah. imprint in that cement early on that, you, that that'll be there for some years. Um, so, you know, it's running it past people. I mean, it doesn't even have to be yeah, a designated yeah. person with a designated title. It's like, you just got people in your corner, man. Like that are, that are, that are, that are going to encourage yeah. you when Pop, you need encouragement that, and that are right. You know, yeah. somebody with that the authority are, that are to positive, throw in the towel for you. Positive you can't influences, do it not the killing squad. <laughs> that, that yeah, are, exactly. Say, yeah. Screw her. Screw them. F them. Take that. You know? So yeah, that's, uh, that's a good point. One thing I want to, we got about 10 minutes, uh, nine, 10 minutes left on, on yeah. the recording, but uh, talk about uh, sure. what's going on now with the, with, with COVID uh, the shutdown, virtual recovery. Think of like, I, we had, I had a friend of a friend uh, guy got, got clean in NA for, for 10, 12 years, hit it big, was very financially successful, ended up going back out, was struggling to get, uh, clean again finally got on a routine going to meetings consistently COVID hit he lost his connection what guy went back out and overdosed and, and and died you know and so I think of as a guy that went to a meeting every single day for almost five years what would what would my recovery have been like if I was new and now all of a sudden I couldn't go be around people um, you know, what, what, what you got going on? What are, what are you telling new people and how are you staying connected with people? Uh, yeah. New and, and for yourself. Um, well, excuse me, it's different for sure. And, uh, you know, obviously, I mean, everything's fucking different, dude. It's like such uncharted territory for, you know, all, yeah. the whole world with every aspect of life that why would recovery be any different than that? And it just, for one, it reminded me, or it taught me that I actually, boy, did I take right. a lot of things for granted when yeah. it came to meetings, um, just meetings, right? Like all the other parts of recovery are pretty much still available to me uh, the way they always were. It's just that, you know, meetings themselves, which is like really the, the meat and potatoes of the whole thing. Um, you know, I took a lot of that stuff for granted. Uh, right. not knowing, not ever yeah. thinking that it would just stop one day, uh, you know, <laughs> right. physical meetings, like to actually right. meet like at one place. Um, 
you know, uh, but in the beginning, yeah. I was I was like the last one that still wanted to meet at my home group. <laughs> you know, like I, 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 you know, I lost that debate in our land. In our group discussion about it, <laughs> uh, so much so you're, that you're me a, and a couple yeah. of my buddies went Rebel and sat outside cause, that man, first let's week. Make it happen. Uh, in the well, in the in the spirit of what if somebody decides to get clean today, yeah. they go on the app. Now this is like a couple months ago now almost. They go on the app or the meeting list or the website or whatever, and they look yeah. up. I'm going to go to this Concha Hockey at six o'clock on a, a Wednesday, point. and I'm going to surrender. Point. I wanted somebody to be there for that person. Somebody was there for me when I made that decision. Yeah. Um, but, you know, then it became irresponsible for us to meet, uh, you know, as far as the virus is concerned. So, you know, we, we have my home group has a Zoom meeting. Um, I've attended uh, quite a few. Um, it's different. Uh, you yeah. know, sharing on it is different. Listening on it is different. Paying attention on it is different. Being engaged is different. Uh, you know, I'm one of those old school. I didn't, I didn't have a cell phone when I got clean, so I got in the habit of not being on my phone during the meetings. So having my phone in my yeah. hand because that's where the meeting is is different for me. It's easy for me to wander off course. Um, but in the beginning, I was like skeptical, Anytime. and then I did a couple, and was like, "Wow, this is great! I can hop in a meeting whenever." Like on the way to work, on the way to this, you know what I mean? Like I, I invested, I bought AirPods. No, like, no one you and this, the excuse I've been, I've been waiting for to spend this money uh, on these AirPods uh, and for, you know all this shit. And, and you're right, it is life changing when you don't have to worry about. Oh, did you? You just like the AirPods? Well, well, I, I just well, got I, have a, I just headphones. got some of the knockoffs. We'll see how good you know they are. But, I, I'm a, uh, <laughs> yeah. but anyway, go on. But you, you that is a good point. So yeah. So, and I was in them all the time. I'm in the 24 hour marathon. It's like worldwide. And I'm like, this is so great. And, you know, I made more meetings in a couple of weeks on zoom than I had in a couple months in person, because my life is just built in such a way that I, I can't get out as much as I used to. Um, but you know, I've kind of scaled it back now to where, you know, I'm in my regular meeting attendance, like two, maybe three a week if I'm lucky, um, you know, uh, it's like, I, I'm really ready. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know how ready we are as a society for us to like meet again, yeah. but I'm ready for that day to come to where we can just meet in person. Yeah. And it's just not giving me the same, uh, like oomph that a real meeting with, with people in the room and physical connection and, and hugs and the look on people's faces. And like, you, you can feel joy. Uh, as like a tangible emotion um, that comes with the freedom we gain from other people. Like when, it, when you're all in the atmosphere, right? Like we talk a lot about the atmosphere of recovery. Uh, you know, the atmosphere of recovery yeah. is not exactly me by myself on my back patio staring at my phone. Like that's just not, it wasn't designed that way or else it would have been designed different than it was. You know what I mean? But it is what it is. Like this, we have to assess, adapt and overcome. And as a fellowship, uh, you know, I think we hit it out of the park with the, the speed in which we were able yeah. to adapt and put something in place so addicts can still I think connect, it's neat, too. I'm right? curious Even if as we to can't what's going to hang around, but connect. I also think, too, is how, um, but, um, you know, I've, I've also uh, benefited heavily from me. I love meetings. I love people. I like 
the feeling of being in the room, et cetera. But I think of uh, how lucky we are to be in bigger cities where we have so much more access to real meetings. My father-in-law, he got sober in uh, France and he would drive once a week. He would drive two uh-huh. hours to a meeting. And that's how he would, cause he, he didn't, they didn't have anywhere he was at. And so think of like how much access people have that maybe don't, would normally have access. I mean, technically I could attend your home group, send me the zoom meeting. I can go to your home group. I live in freaking Ohio. So I think there's something really cool about that. That is cool. What do you, what do you think what's about cool. uh, what, That's what the coolest part about it. I'm new. Yeah. I'm ready That's to really surrender. Cool. I freaking just got out of treatment and they said, go to meetings, but we couldn't now. So what do you think I ought to do? Like, what, what should I do, Paul? Uh, Well, it's tricky, man. It's like, you know, I mean, I, I guess I would just use the same language that we've always used uh, and just assume that this whole thing's yeah. going to be somewhat temporary. Um, and temporary can mean a long time. Just It just means not forever. Um, so yeah, just <laughs> hit as many meetings as you can. Uh, you're probably not working. You'll have a right? job, but yeah, <laughs> so, COVID. You know, not just because uh, you're yeah. new, but because of COVID. Um, Maybe, you know, I think the new, the new time standard your might hands, be right? uh, so make sure you got a good phone charger. I think that because uh, now you can get on. Is that right, dude, bro? No I job. did two hundred and ninety easy my first ninety days clean. No, I didn't have a job. Yeah, I had nothing to do. That's right. That's right. Yeah, let's make a meeting. Go to a meeting. Go sit outside. Wait for the next meeting to start and go to the meeting. You know what I mean? Um, but what I what my biggest concern with this is, and I and I want to get this thing. I'm, I'm watching the time too. Is what about the people that don't have the access? Like, oh, like yeah. how do we reach the person to tell them, oh, well, you got to go on na.org and type in Zoom meeting code? Like, how do we reach those? Like, are the treatment yeah. facilities up on that? I do like, think, I, are we doing any kind of extra outreach? Uh, yeah. You know, because you can't, you can't do physical outreach. So that's like a hard thing. Um, it's like, how many people are we yeah, losing to this? How that's many true. people get clean and don't have? any kind of device to hop on zoom i would say a lot of people so it's like what are you doing like are our rehabs doing h and i zoom meetings are probably not because it breaks certain you know traditions and 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 hipaa hipaa acts and shit like that you know our recovery house is like rolling you know getting smart tvs instead of regular tvs to make sure that these people can go pretty good a lot of the counties the hospitals, the treatment centers, I mean, they've been pretty damn proactive about how much access people do, you know, that 12 steps are online and they're, you know, blazing all over Facebook and stuff like that. So they are doing it. I'm just kind of wondering, I mean, hell, our hospital right now, you can actually do intensive outpatient treatment uh, or partial hospitalization treatment uh, online right now. And so it, that's unprecedented, but they are talking about it, but you're right. I mean, there's, there's plenty of people out there that are desperate and they don't have access to stuff and you're missing them, but, uh, but yeah, we're just missing them. Yeah. And I got clean in an area where my, the home group I had for a long time was in, you know, in North Philly and in, in, in Kensington, which, you know, people all over the world know about Kensington now. Um, but probably almost every other week a suffering addict would stumble in after their last hit on their last leg 
and you know had absolutely nothing to their name yeah. and next thing you know they're getting a ride from somebody yeah. up to up to the to the detox That's true. and then they're coming back 30 days later and they're clean like we're missing that like that magic is not there to to for us to help and be in service and it's also not there for people to just witness and see the power of of, of like the the My dude, love we got- that goes seconds. on like in our, in so our physical anything to wrap up, you know what I, I mean? I, uh, I can't so, tell you how much I've enjoyed it. I want go. to do it again. Uh, and, uh, anyway, I just love you. I like the, uh, I love the passion you have. I like the perspective. I like the fact that you and I, uh, you know, uh, help each other. And, and I just really appreciate you. Is there anything you want to say? You got about 30 seconds uh, to sign off. Well, I, I echo all that. And, um, it's just cool for me to be able to talk about it in this setting where I'm able to yeah. go outside of the box and outside of, you know, certain restrictions that I would put on myself um, yeah. when representing myself in, in, inside like a, a fellowship setting. Um, so it's cool to do like you, the whole anonymity thing, man. It's cool to go further. Out, I love you, my dude. Like Signing reach off. further out when with the conversation. Right, man, you know what I'm saying? Love you too, man. Thanks for having me. Peace.